Chapter 4 of the Story of Eclipses. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Andrea K. The Story of Eclipses by George Chambers. Chapter 4 Miscellaneous Theoretical Matters Connected with Eclipses of the Sun Chiefly. One or two miscellaneous matters respecting eclipses of the sun chiefly will be dealt with in this chapter. It is not easy to explain or define in words the circumstances which control the duration of a solar eclipse, whereas in the case of a lunar eclipse, the obscuration is the same in degree at all parts of the earth where the moon is visible. In the case of a solar eclipse, it may be total, perhaps, in Africa, may be of six digits only in Spain, and of two only in England. Under the most favorable circumstances, the breadth of the track of totality across the earth cannot be more than 170 miles, and it may be anything less than that down to zero where the eclipse will cease to be total at all and will become annular. The question whether a given eclipse shall exhibit itself on its central line as a total or an annular one depends, as has been already explained, on the varying distances of the earth and the moon from the sun in different parts of their respective orbits. Hence it follows that not only may an eclipse show itself for several Ceres appearances as total, and afterwards become annular, and vice versa, but on rare occasions one in the same eclipse may be annular in one part of its track across the earth in total in another part a short time earlier or later this last-named condition might arise because the moon's distance from the earth or the sun had varied sufficiently during the progress of the eclipse to bring about such a result or because the shadow just reaching the earth and no more the eclipse would be total only for the moment when a view perpendicular upwards could be had of it, and would be annular for the minutes preceding and the minutes following the perpendicular glimpse obtained by observers actually on the central line. The eclipse of December 12, 1890 was an instance of this. If the paths of several central eclipses of the sun are compared by placing side by side a series of charts, such as those given in the nautical almanac or in Oppolzer's canon, it will be noticed that the direction of the central line varies with the season of the year. In the month of March the line runs from southwest to northeast, and in September from northwest to southeast. In June the line is a curve, going first to the northeast and then to the southeast. In December the state of things is reversed, the curve going first to the southeast and then to the northeast. At all places within about 2,000 miles of the central line, the eclipse will be visible. And the nearer a place is to the central line, so much the larger will be the portion of the sun's disk concealed from observers there by the moon. If the central line runs but a little to the north of the equator in winter, or of 25 degrees of north latitude in summer. The eclipse will be visible all over the northern hemisphere, and the converse will apply to the southern hemisphere. 
It is something like a general rule in the case of total and annular eclipses, though subject to many modifications, that places within 200 to 250 miles of the central line will have partial eclipse of 11 digits, from thence to 500 miles of 10 digits, and so on, diminishing something like one digit for every 250 miles, so that at 2,000 miles, or rather more, the sun will be only to a very slight extent eclipsed, or will escape eclipse altogether. The diameter of the sun being 866,000 miles, and the moon being only 2,160 miles, or one four hundredth, how comes it to be possible that such a tiny object should be capable of concealing a globe 400 times bigger than itself? The answer is distance. The increased distance does it. The moon at its normal distance from the earth of 237,000 miles could only conceal by eclipse a body of its own size or smaller. But the sun being 93 million miles away, or 392 times the distance of the moon, the fraction 1 over 392, representing the main distance of the moon, more than wipes out the fraction 1 over 400, which represents our satellite's smaller size. During a total eclipse of the sun, the moon's shadow travels across the earth at a prodigious pace, 1,830 miles an hour, 30 and a half miles a minute, or rather, more than a half mile a second. This great velocity is at once a clue to the fact that the total phase during an eclipse of the sun lasts for so brief a time as a few minutes, and also to the fact that the shadow comes and goes almost without being seen unless a very sharp watch is kept for it. Indeed, it is only observers posted on high ground with some miles of open low ground spread out under their eyes who have much chance of detecting the shadow come up go over them, and pass forwards. Places at or near the Earth's equator enjoy the best opportunities for seeing total eclipses of the sun, because whilst the moon's shadow travels eastwards along the Earth's surface at something like 2,000 miles an hour, an observer at the equator is carried in the same direction by virtue of the Earth's axial rotation at the rate of 1,040 miles an hour. But the speed imparted to an observer as the result of the Earth's axial rotation diminishes from the equator towards the poles, where it is nil, so that the nearer he is to a pole, the slower he goes, and therefore the sooner will the moon's shadow overtake and pass him, and the less the time at his disposal for seeing the sun hidden by the moon. It was calculated by du Séjour that the greatest possible duration of the total phase of a solar eclipse at the equator would be 7 minutes 58 seconds, and for the latitude of Paris, 6 minutes 10 seconds. In the case of an annular eclipse, the figures would be 12 minutes 24 seconds for the equator, and 9 minutes 56 seconds for the latitude of Paris. These figures contemplate a combination of all the most favorable circumstances possible. As a matter of fact, I believe that the greatest length of total phase which has been actually known was six and a half minutes, 
and that was in the case of the eclipse of August 29, 1886. It was in the open Atlantic that this duration occurred, but it was not observed. The maximum observed obscuration during this eclipse was no more than four minutes. The total eclipses of the sun happen with tolerable frequency so far as regards the earth as a whole, yet they are exceedingly rare at any given place. Take London, for instance. From the calculations of Hind, confirmed by Maguire, it may be considered as an established fact that there was no total eclipse visible at London between A.D. 878 and 1715 an interval of 837 years. The next one visible at London, though uncertain, is also a very long way off. There will be a total eclipse on August 11, 1999, which will come as near to London as the Isle of Wight. But Hind, writing in 1871, said that he doubted whether there would be any other total eclipse visible in England for 250 years from the present time. Maguire states that the sun has been eclipsed, besides twice at London, also twice at Dublin, and no fewer than five times at Edinburgh during the 846 years examined by him. In fact that every part of the British Isles has seen a total eclipse at some time or other between A.D. 878 and 1724, except a small tract of country at Dingle, on the west coast of Ireland. The longest totality was on June 15, 885, namely 4 minutes 55 seconds, and the shortest in July 16, 1330, namely 0 minutes 56 seconds. Contrast with this the obscure island of Blanquilla, off the northern coast of Venezuela, the inhabitants of that island not long ago had the choice of two total eclipses within three and a half years, namely August 29, 1886 and December 22, 1889, whilst Yellowstone, U.S. had two in twelve years, July 29, 1878 and January 1, 1889. Counting from first to last, Dusager found that at the equator an eclipse of the sun might last 4 hours 29 minutes, and at the latitude of Paris 3 hours 26 minutes. These intervals, of course, cover all the subordinate phases. The total phase, which alone, with perhaps a couple of minutes added, is productive of spectacular effects and interesting scientific results is a mere matter of minutes, which may be as few as one or less, or only as many as six or eight. As a rule, a summer eclipse will last longer than a winter one, because in summer, the earth and the moon with it, being at its maximum distance from the sun, the sun will be at its minimum apparent size, and therefore the moon will be able to conceal it the longer. End of chapter 4. Recording by Andrea Kay.